If you've been listening to the Gutology podcast for a while, you may well have heard of functional medicine. I'm quite convinced, though, that you won't have heard the term functional dentistry. Dr. Mark Behenna has been a dentist in private practice for over 35 years. He cares little for fillings and crowns, more for the ecosystem in your mouth. Not the root canal, but the root issues behind decay, gum disease and cavities. Dentistry, well, it's big business. Fillings fill the pockets of dentists and Mark's holistic approach to preventing tooth decay, well, it didn't go down too well as a junior dentist. In fact, he was fired from his first job and he learnt that the clinic was in the business of maximising profits, perhaps not maximising its clients' health. And so you ask yourself the question, does your dentist really want to look after your teeth? Well, that's what we're going to find out today. To quote Dr. Behenna, your gut health, brain health, and even sleep quality are intimately tied to your health, to the health of your teeth and gums, and one cannot be improved without addressing the other. In short, our dental health cannot be treated in a vacuum. Uh, Mark, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to start today. Um, I think there is so much hype around gut health and people perhaps aren't thinking too much about the connection between their oral health and their overall health. So maybe that's a great place to start. Absolutely. And, and I'm, that's why I'm so glad I'm here. You've interviewed a lot of people on gut health, a lot of practitioners, researchers. Uh, it's, it's the same everywhere. Oral health a long time ago, at least in the US, kind of branched off from medicine in the 1840s. Uh, we literally got kicked out of the club because we were considered to be tooth carpenters. We were working on something that was considered to be inanimate. All we had to do is get past the mouth and we were drilling and filling and woodworking, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and that turns out to be a big mistake. And now, of course, we know uh, and this is kind of the premise for functional dentistry. Uh, I mean, there shouldn't be that term. It should be functional medicine because dentistry is part of medicine, part of the body. But uh, I mean, dentistry has changed a lot and it's going to change more. And that's because the current research, most of it uh, relating to the oral microbiome, uh, is is a fundamental shift of how we should think about how we treat the mouth. And unfortunately, it's not mainstream yet, just like in functional medicine. Um, uh, but it's happening, it's beginning, and it's something that I long ago thought, I mean, as a, as a young man, 17, 16 years old, I was reading books on nutrition. I know that was very unusual and nerdy and not very popular. I was reading other books too, but... Um, you know, to me at that point, I knew fluoride didn't seem right. We didn't have the data. Uh, disinfecting the mouth didn't seem right. Didn't really have the data, or maybe we did, but it was being ignored. Uh, and now it's the opposite. Now we know that fluoride is bad. We have studies. We have studies that indicate that it causes brain damage. Uh, it's a neurotoxin in infants, even fetuses. We know that we do not want to disinfect the mouth. It's just like disinfecting the gut. We know that's not right. Antibiotics, uh, uh, poor food selections. So really, uh, the way to look at the mouth is, is, is more a part of this global system in a superorganism. We are not just one organism. We are a superorganism. We have all of our global axes of 
organ systems, endocrine systems, neurological systems, uh, uh, you know, the, cardio, the cardiovascular systems, blood flow. Um, and, then, and then we have this other thing that lives in us, on us, around us, and that is a biome, a, a microbiome. And it should be no surprise to anyone that this also exists in the mouth. And maybe this is a surprise to most, it's a big player in this global axis of systems that are linked together 10, 15, 20 different ways, not just one interchange or link. And then of course, uh, this uh, notion of a superorganism. we are more than just human DNA. We are so when, other DNA as well, foreign DNA. So when we think about the microbiome in a house, and I, I think the microbiome in gen, general is, is it's, quite, it's quite a hard thing for people to sort of, to make sense of, to visualize in their heads, like what is a, is a microbiome. But essentially what we're saying is within the mouth, there are lots of different bacteria, some of those good bacteria and some of those potentially not so good bacteria and the relationship between those bacteria starts to play out and if there's too much bad bacteria potentially that could mean bad things and hopefully you've got enough of the good bacteria to keep the bad bacteria at bay i don't know if that's a good way to no that's that. and and it's probably even more complex than that so it, the simple thinking uh, before we discovered these biomes which is what two decades now rather recently, uh, recent discoveries and, and way of thinking. But the, 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 I'll stick with the oral microbiome. I'll refer occasionally to the gut microbiome because they are similar, but there are differences. But in the oral microbiome, it's not about one bad bug. We've identified that bug. It's the S. mutans bug for cavities. Then there's the P. gingivalis bug, which is the bug that causes gum disease. That bug is always present. It's like, you know, I was just out in my vegetable garden this morning and I saw a few weeds and you pluck them and then they're going to come back, but they don't come back as strongly once the garden is cultivated and doing well. My tomato plants are doing well. My pepper plants are doing well. But in the beginning, it was more about the weeds. So these bugs are always present. You cannot get rid of them. The notion of killing them, disinfecting them and them not coming back is ludicrous. Uh, and... It, it's really about the population of other bugs that can help modulate these players. And these players do have some good roles and they're needed, obviously, because we can't, we can't take them away. They keep coming back. But it's really about the other bugs and their roles in how they modulate the environment and, and the, the, the ecosystem. And a lot of that is related to uh, the reason it's gone bad is obviously because of food and uh, dry airways and low saliva counts and acidic meals. I and mean, it's our environment that has really had the greatest influence. But back to your definition of the oral microbiome, it's 700 now encroaching on 800 different bugs, bacterium, uh, bacteria, uh, fungi, viruses, and all of these bugs have a role. And their role is not singular. It is their role in how they interact with others. Uh, they, they really, there's a synergy there. And we're just beginning to understand that. We can now test for all of these bugs and we get the raw data. You can do this at home by spitting into a vial. It's very simple now, relatively inexpensive. But we're having problems collating the data, not collating it, but understanding what to do with that raw data. And it, that's how complicated it is. It isn't one bug does this and one bug does this. And this one bug is really bad. It's about how they all intermix together. 
our uh, thoughts around if we have dental problems, for example, let's think about somebody that's listening to this podcast right now. Let's say they've got a bit of mild gum disease. They've got some fillings that have been going on. I think our, 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 our current belief system would be, well, we've eaten too much sugar. We've not brushed our teeth enough. But is what you're saying that actually... You could be brushing your teeth as much as you want and eating the healthiest diet in the world, but it actually could be the microbiome in your mouth that's impacting cavities in your teeth and, and gum disease. I mean, that's essentially the majority of us. Uh, it, it, globally, uh, certainly in the US, which you know is a very quote-unquote civilized country with good health care, uh, over age 60, 70, I think it's 72% of us have gum disease. Of those 72 I would say 98% of them have had a cavity. When you're in your 40s, it's 53%. The majority of us have gum disease. This is a very prevalent disease. And most of my patients that are brushing and flossing, which is what we shame them into doing, still have these diseases. Obviously, brushing and flossing is an afterthought. It's a great uh, industry. Uh, it's a very lucrative industry uh, uh, and has been for a long time. But that in itself is not seemingly we know is not doing the trick. I mean, I have couples come in and one spouse will have a lot of work and needed, needing a lot of work, a lot of cavities, a lot of gum disease, deep pockets, bleeding gums, and they are brushing and flossing like mad. And then the husband or the partner will, I will hear that from the partner in the chair. I mean, they do nothing. They don't floss and they come in and they have a perfect you know, uh, a, a dental visit. So it, it's more than that. It, it is diet, it's environment, it's uh, the humidity in the air, if you're mouth breathing. It's, um, it's not about flossing and brushing. In fact, that's number three on the list. Uh, it's about the oral microbiome. And, and again, this is something, the oral microbiome came discovery, not discovery, but uh, uh, kind of attention to it came after the gut microbiome. And it still doesn't get enough attention because it is linked with all the other biomes. But it is about the oral microbiome. Oral disease and other systemic diseases, it's not about brushing and flossing properly. It's, uh, and it's not necessarily seeing your dentist twice a year. It's about what you've got in your mouth. What's living? What's in the biofilm? What is the makeup of the bacteria? Are they doing their job properly? And I, I, what is amazing about that is I remember, uh, I don't know whether it was a National Geographic article, but I remember reading it a few years ago and um, they were visiting a remote tribe in the middle of the Amazon jungle or somewhere. And they actually had like quite, uh, I remember them talking about it because they had quite a high sugar diet because they were eating lots of fruit and, mm -hmm. and, and things like this. And there are these 80 year old elders in the, in the village with these Hollywood white, mm -hmm smiles right um and even at that point people are saying well ho hold on a minute like mm -hmm. these guys aren't brushing their teeth yeah you know no. and, and and the same as you see with animals right yeah. you know you know wolves in the wild aren't um gargling mouthwash before they howl at night right. but clean white teeth and that's fascinating to me and i kind of wonder whether you're saying brushing is kind of like third down on the list, but let's take somebody, say you created like a, a, a probiotic formula, right? And if we if we took somebody uh, from, from, let's say, childhood into an adult and the first person used 
you know, blast it, mouthwash full of chemicals and brush their teeth twice a day. And the other one didn't do anything, but maybe just had a probiotic mouthwash. What do you think the difference would be as far as the state of their teeth when they got to adulthood? Well, they've actually done these studies. They're um, uh, concordant studies with twins. And, you know, twins have the same, they're genetic uh, copies of, each, of, of themselves, of each other. And there are a lot of commonalities. And, but how they express through their life, certain uh, symptoms, diseases, let's talk about cavities, uh, bleeding gums. Uh, one may have slightly different facial development. Uh, I mean, that's an environmental factor. So I went to school with two twins, identical twins, and I was able to tell them apart, even though they made great effort uh, for amusement's sake uh, to, to uh, they would literally switch positions and the professors would be fooled on, on the bench and in the clinic and all of that. But, uh, but one had a narrower face than the other. So there's that genetic blueprint, but then once you come into this planet, their face may be different and also their oral microbiomes may be different. And that's back to those studies. A lot of, a lot of teenagers that are identical, they're living in the same home they're maybe consume, mostly consuming the same diet unless they have preferences when they're outside of the home. And, but they will have radically different uh, uh, d uh, dental reports. And one may have a few cavities that need to be fixed. The other one may not. There may be different uh, levels, degrees of gum disease and inflammation in the mouth. Uh, um, obviously, one may be brushing more and flossing uh, uh, more or less, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, but back to that example that you, you mentioned, uh, there are a lot of great studies coming out now. Ironically, we're able to define, and, and this isn't available for the gut microbiome people, but we're able to define what our oral microbiomes were back in the, the Neolithic era, for example. Pick any, any time you want, uh, but way, way back, thousands, ten thousands, before the agricultural revolution, afterwards, we can measure... And, and know what was in the mouth, what was in the oral microbiome by picking off calculus off of the skulls, off the teeth in the skulls that we dig up. And calculus, basically it's calcium, but in that calcium are these uh, petrified bacteria. That's probably not the right word. Um, and we can do a DNA analysis and, and know what that was. The scary part now is, is that we now know, based on analysis of the current oral microbiome compared to any of those dates back then, is that we've actually, not only has the oral microbiome changed radically, radically, dramatically, uh, as you would expect, but we've lost, completely lost. They've, they've become extinct, certain bacteria in our mouth. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that because our environment has changed? Absolutely. Have we evolved into a better kind of organism? Probably not, because our symptomology, our number of cavities, the, the incidence of disease has gone up since from that skull that we measured back in time. So, so, and not only are they beautiful white teeth, I mean, a lot of these uh, tribes are able to chew on raw sugar cane. Now that's not a uh, version of refined sugar, obviously, but I've actually been to Africa, to central Nigeria, 
and uh, had made some comments and made some notes on how healthy patients were, depending on what was being consumed. And, you know, if they were in a village working and able to work at McDonald's, which we do have exported to Nigeria, unfortunately, um, there's a slightly different story there. But the Africans in Nigeria, these are, these are the Yoruba tribe, uh, that are in small villages that may come into contact with uh, modern civilization, like a car loaded with you know, uh, processed food is very infrequent, if if not at all. Uh, they are incredibly healthy, even in today's world. So, so we're we're trying to frame the context of how important this oral microbiome. What role does it play? And each time, it doesn't matter how you look at it. Uh, whatever study you want to look at, it it always is the big player in terms of oral health. And so, if if you know, someone's listening to this and, um, you know, it's pretty common now, few fillings, maybe some kind of early signs of gum disease, or maybe people don't even think about it like that. They, their teeth occasionally bleed slightly or their the gums are slightly kind of receding. Um, and suddenly now we're thinking, well, shit, I can't use my mouthwash and my, I can't brush more. Maybe that's not the solution. Mm-hmm. How do you work with one of your clients when they've got the, I mean, I, you know, we can talk about the more extreme end of the thing, but let's just say that somebody's come in and they're looking to kind of like optimize their oral health. Where do you begin? Well, as a patient, I would recommend that you seek out a functionally minded dentist right away. It's a complete different way of thinking. You understand this because you've probably, well, you've worked with a functional medical uh, provider. And the only, the, the only way to really move the needle forward is to look at the whole body as a, as a super organism uh, with all the other uh, factors in play, most, which is most of the time. There, there isn't just one singular part of the body that is sick. Typically, it's related. Uh, there are so many examples of that in, in oral health. Uh, or, for example, gum disease... Uh, is a metabolic disease enhancer. Uh, you'll see an increase in body mass. In, oh, most of my patients that are sick in the mouth, they have body mass index issues, blood pressure is higher, triglycerides, fasting glucose, uh, A1C, um, uh, CRP, all of those are elevated or, or not registering at, at healthy uh, in, in a healthy sort of way. So and just to just pinpoint on those levels though, mm-hmm. What is chicken and what is egg there? Mm. Because, you know, is the is the is the increase in weight and 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 the 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 third party factors connected to that, like exercise and diet, is that impact? Like, is it the oral microbiome driving the condition, or you know, how yeah. how no, do you? No, it's a great question. It's a great question, and it's. One I've thought about, uh, of course, and I would, if I had to answer it in a nutshell, I would say it's more likely the oral, dysbiosis of the oral microbiome that is driving certain uh, systemic diseases. For example, it, it, it is very likely, this is in isolated cases, let's take one patient, that years or decades of gum disease could be the reason, the causative factor for a patient's uh, Alzheimer's. That's a perfect example. Alzheimer's doesn't 
work back to causing gum disease. Um, uh, it's it's definitely one way, but diabetes can aggravate the condition of gum disease, periodontal disease, because that is that affects you metabolically, and of course that elevates a lot of markers. That typically what happens in the mouth, which again, it disease in the mouth is more prevalent than most other diseases, if not all, it, on this planet. So it would be very likely to be able to answer, yes, it comes typically from the mouth. That's where I would like to come from because that's how I feel, but it's very hard to categorize that. Um, but inflammation in the mouth, which again, as I said earlier, is the majority of us, is a seed. It, 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 it can spread the infection, it can do that via a metastatic injury. It can do that by direct infection or just by elevating your general CRP. So if you have inflammation in the mouth and your cardiologist is trying to treat you for inflammation because of cardiovascular disease and your dentist and, and physician are not speaking together, we're not working together, uh, that's, that's a big gap in, in the patient's treatment because the cardiologist may be trying to lower CRP without knowing that there's this raging uh, autoimmune response, chronic, that's gonna go on probably, if not treated properly, to the end of days for that patient. Uh, and that is feeding and seeding and, and, and kind of uh, making that systemic disease worse, in this case, cardiovascular disease. So, so if it were chicken or egg, I, w I would, uh, uh, you know, uh, I would say that oral disease is typically the chicken mm -hmm. and 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 on that note then that's a it's a scary headline isn't it the propensity it for the connection between you know uh, even relatively mild I, I i don't know much of the studies around alzheimer's but are, are we saying really significant gum disease can contribute or mild gum disease what what have we yeah seen? Uh, great question it it can be mild um that study that i mentioned earlier um that you know all these changes these blood markers and like body bmi and all that crp uh that was based on a four millimeter pocket i would say almost 100 percent of us have four millimeter pockets uh, i have a four millimeter pocket i've been working on it. it's probably more about bone morphology and the location and it's near a, a crown but typically we get excited we have different levels of gum disease. There's type one, which is gingivitis. That is just an overall inflammation. When you brush your teeth, you see a little blood on your toothbrush. When you spit out, you see a little tinged saliva. Um, and then type two is gum disease with pocketing. The pocket gets deeper. There's that little moat or sulcus around each tooth. There's a girdle of tissue uh, around the teeth and they are pulled in by this girdle. I call it a girdle periodontal fibers, millions of little periodontal fibers made up of collagen. Collagen is very important. Synthesis of collagen is very important in gum disease, as is vitamin C and other supplements. And that girdle will migrate downwards when there's disease and inflammation. And that girdle is preventing bugs from the mouth from getting into your systemic uh, parts of your body, typically the bloodstream. Um, and that girdle is... First of all, it's an early indicator of disease. Uh, when a dentist, when you go to the dentist and have your pockets probed, there's six readings per tooth. You'll hear someone saying, oh, that's a six millimeter pocket, two, three millimeter. Two to three millimeter pockets are normal. A four millimeter pocket is considered to be gum disease. 
but I would say most of the people listening to this episode right now have a four millimeter pocket if they've been probed. Hopefully they know that information. So, so it's pretty common. So that, that threshold that you asked about when, at what point does it become something that can harm us systemically? The threshold's pretty low and most of us are there. And again, that's because we're not living like our ancestors. We've been exposed to so much. I mean, microplastics now are having an effect on teeth formation as they form in the gum line. And when they come out, they're more cavity prone. I mean, the air quality, pollution, uh, mouth breathing, poor facial development, all the toxins and soaps and detergents and toothpaste and mouthwash, fluoride, uh, ironically, all these things that dentistry is pushing on onto the patient pool. So, so our, our mouths are under attack. Our oral microbiome is not doing well. Uh, and if it's not doing well, your gut microbiome will never do well. They're linked. They are, they are one in, not one in the same, but they are partners in protecting us. And so going back then to that point then, so we're aware of the risks and the dangers of even mild gum disease. Most of us have at least a two millimeter, if not a four millimeter pocket. Mm -hmm. um, so, and now we're losing faith in our, uh, some people probably for the first time today, mm -hmm. uh, they're thinking, oh God, uh, I'm just on my way to work. Another thing I have to yes, worry about. Exactly. I've been lied to again. Right. Um, uh, where, where do we begin to start right. to address uh, uh, cavities, gum disease, and, and prevent? Is it even possible to reverse right. it? The good news is that if you're addressing your overall health, let's say you're, you went from a junk food diet to a paleo diet, that is going to have a significant effect on your oral microbiome and your oral health. Uh, again, it's not about brushing and flossing. Um, if you were breastfed and you were born vaginally and you grew up eating a lot of meat and uh, fermented products, fermented beans, um, sauerkraut, uh, items that are high in vitamin K2, you've got enough calcium in your system. These are all things that will enable you to breathe properly with your mouth closed when at rest and when you're sleeping, that has a profound effect. But really currently, and this is most of us, I, I include myself, you really should go see a different type of dentist. You should see a functionally minded dentist. Uh, we actually have a directory on our website. We do have some, uh, uh, I think we have quite a few in England. It's a worldwide site. Uh, England is, is, is ahead of the game in many ways. Um, You've got some of the uh, most forward-thinking orthodontists in England, the orthotropic uh, group. Uh, again, they get ridiculed a little bit, as, as I do sometimes, for my stance on fluoride and, and how I see the big picture. And that's fine. Uh, it's happening less and less, which is great. Um, so seek out a functionally-minded dentist. You, it will be a completely different approach. You'll, the first hour will be a complete medical history. Uh, you may not even get to the dental part until the last 10, 15 minutes. I mean, grinding is related. Bruxism is related to sleep, for example. I mean, most dentists grinding patient, oh, we'll make you a mouth guard. We'll pop it in there and you can grind all you want, but your teeth will wear down slower than they would if you didn't wear the night guard. Well, the night guard can make the sleep worse. Then you grind more. Then you get TMJ. You haven't addressed the root cause, which is sleep disorder breathing. The functional dentist will look at all these, and, and they're trained, they can be trained. We have dentists coming out of the IFM now, the uh, um, International Medicine. uh, Functional Medical Group, right? And, and there are only a few, there are only about four or five, which is, which is amazing. But this is all changing, and this is a movement just like functional medicine is. And, but 
that dentist will work upstream of all your symptoms so that when you keep, most people expect to come in and they roll their eyes and like, oh, okay, I've got another cavity probably. Oh no, you've got two. Okay. Well, okay. How much? And let's get it done. That's not the norm. That should not be expected. Uh, uh, and so that dentist will work with you to explain it to you, to educate you, to help you make behavioral modifications, to explain to you what the real causes are. It will, they'll steer you away from the products that actually make things worse. There are mouthwashes that elevate your blood pressure. Uh, there are uh, mouthwashes that destroy the uh, nitrate, to, sorry, nitrate to nitrite uh, reducing bacteria in the oral microbiome that create nitric oxide gas, which helps lower your blood pressure. Um, there are toothpaste that will disrupt the oral microbiome. Most, I would say 99.9%, .9%, maybe 99.5% of the toothpaste on the market today are not oral microbiome friendly. They're exactly the opposite. And, and to varying degrees, some are terrible. Um, and that can actually lead to diabetes. If you knock down the oral microbiome, there is a uh, blood pressure increase, uh, plenty of studies on that connection, but there's also a diabetes connection. So if you have diabetes or if you want to prevent that and you're doing everything else in your life from a systemic point of view, again, I say systemic because we think of that as being everything but the mouth, but it isn't. It's everything in the mouth as well, especially the mouth, then you should be really concerned that you're not addressing uh, what your oral microbiome composition is. Get it tested. See a functional dentist so you get the right advice. You can go to our website. You can go to, there are many websites that are explaining this on functional dentistry. And that way, and, and there's even, there, there are even reports now in studies saying that, let's say you're an elite athlete and you're trying to increase your VO2 max and, and all of that. Um, mouthwashes can actually undo some of the benefits of the work you're trying to do, exercise, to up your game. Uh, so yeah, it, it's seeing the right person and it's having the right lifestyle. It's a lifestyle disease, just like any other disease out there, metabolic disease, and it's all connected and it can sometimes really ruin your day. Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, all of that can come from the mouth. So, so, so what we're starting with then, if you want to start making some practical differences is, um, uh, firstly, going and trying to find a holistic dentist if that's if that's possible, and um, we'll link we'll link the um, the uh, Ask a Dentist directory. Um, I know Mark's saying there's some in the UK as well. We have a lot of people listening in America, so that'll be helpful. The second thing then is really look at what is in your toothpaste, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But look at what's in your toothpaste. Look what's in your mouthwash. Again, uh, if you head to um, askthedentist.com, there's like loads of loads of blogs and articles and interest interesting stuff about this and then uh the, the next thing is is the functional approach right get the basics right get your diet get all of those things so so those are is like foundational stuff but also not necessarily going to magically kind of reverse gum disease so you've got a few fillings in your mouth that gum disease is there let's say at this point right you've changed your toothpaste you've got your diet in check um, uh, you've got a good dentist. Where do you go next? What can you do? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Right. Um, I mean, I would, I would, I, all my patients that have gum disease where I encourage them to wear a CGM, a glucose, uh, continuous glucose monitor, because uh, diabetes and gum disease are so interlinked. So if you have gum disease, uh, it's going to make your diabetes worse. It's going to be harder for you to stabilize your blood sugar levels. However, you're doing that with medication or exercise or diet, it should be a, a uh, should be a combination of everything until you can maybe wean yourself off the medication. Uh, it should be uh, lowering your BMI. I mean, these are all things that a dentist can tell you are connected. And for a dentist just to go in there and peel back the gum, surgical intervention of gum disease, or do the deep cleaning, scale and root planing. Without all that advice, I mean, you're wasting your time and money. You're, you're not gonna get a good result because the rest of the problem has not been addressed. So again, you've gotta find someone that is willing to do that. Typically, that's gonna have to come from the patient. They're gonna have to educate themselves and probably do that on the side. And that is possible for with websites like mine, but I have uh, a partner of mine, Dr. Stacy and I, we have a, a course, it's a six and a half hour course that people can sign up for, it's quarterly, and that has everything you need to know. It's six and a half hours, but you can you have to educate yourself, and that's the reality in today's world. You have to become the expert, and you are ultimately responsible for your own healthcare, your own financial management, uh, you know, all of that. Uh, relationships, obviously, but the people that are successful educate themselves. They, they find out what really is the truth, and then they seek that out. And the good news is that that's a lot of stuff you can do at home. Uh, you can take vitamin K2. Uh, that's a, a vitamin for remineralization of teeth. Uh, you don't need to take a lot of calcium. You just need to eat well. Uh, vitamin A, vitamin D3, obviously very important for many things, including sleep. But it does play a big role in uh, gum disease. For example, if you're low, so if you have gum disease, you should be measured for your D3 levels immediately. Uh, uh, gum disease was a is a significant risk factor for COVID, for example. That wasn't really listed and talked about a lot. I think it should be high on the list. Um, also, um, uh, I mean, it's just, there, there, there's so much that we can talk about that comes from the mouth that is in somehow linked to the rest of the body. Uh, bacteria from the mouth are found in most diseases. In fact, now there's a, this study broke about a week ago in cancer cells, um, what was the, was it a fusobacterium or was it a bacteroides? I can't remember. I think it was the fusobacterium. A bug that was found in the mouth were found in, in all these cancer cells. Inside the cancer cell, what is it doing there? What is its function? Why is it there? I mean, is it the seed for cancer? Probably not, but it needs to be fleshed out. That needs to be understood. Uh, the, I can't tell you how many times I come across a study where there's a connection to uh, an oral bacterium or a virus in the mouth, uh, you know, we've got HPV now, which is uh, a type type one, which is connected to oral cancer. That's on the rise. We thought it was alcohol, cigarettes, tobacco. It's not. I mean, it's uh, it's a sexually transmitted disease, um, and that's what causes. Uh, I mean, it can kill you if it's caught early, uh, which I don't think dentists are very good at. A oral cancer exam in the dental office isn't what it isn't, doesn't catch everything. You really need to, again, with a history, I would ask my partners, how many sexual partners you, uh, my patients, how many sexual partners you had. There's a study out of Harvard, it's already 10, 15 years old. If you're over 40, you have a high 
uh, potential for this HPV uh, infection and and tongue cancer, oral cancer. Uh, this is stuff you need to know. And then instead of just doing oral cancer exams, I can't see where this cancer starts, but in a uh, ENT, ear, nose, and throat with a simple nasal endoscopy, the little camera that gets sent down the nose, they can see it. If your patient has uh, or is complaining about difficulty in swallowing or has a hoarse voice, all of that. I mean, you really got to get on top of this because that is a survivable cancer. Like if, if caught early, it's 98% and it's more prevalent than ever before. And what are the symptoms with an oral cancer? What are the things that people will notice to, to start right. with? Difficulty swallowing, change in voice, uh, pain or a weird tight feeling in back uh, at the very base of the... Isn't there quite a, a disproportionate amount of like rock stars that uh, yeah. have, True. have had... True. And actors. Because... And actors. And actors. Yeah. Because, of yeah. course... Occupational that, hazard, I guess. <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> um, and when we think about uh, the... You know, when we think about a functional approach, particularly when people are, uh, have got some kind of digestive issues, some kind of inflammatory uh, uh, disease going on, a functional approach often often with, with the gut will go in and, and firstly be about not just throwing probiotics in there, but mm -hmm. actually testing, perhaps understanding what is the makeup of the microbiome, seeing if there are any bacteria, bacteria in there or strains of bacteria that could be linked to more inflammatory conditions, yeast overgrowth, things like that. Yep. And firstly, trying to get those in check and then coming in with the cavalry and trying to kind of reinforce the kind of good right. bacteria. Yep. Is there a similar kind of method for the, for the oral microbiome or is it as simple as you could mouthwash with some probiotic solutions and those would have a positive right. effect on your gum. No, that's, uh, that's a very commonly asked question. Um, and I do not have a simple answer for that. Uh, oral microbiome research is pretty new. Uh, I do work with a company out of San Diego. Uh, I think they are, well, we know that they're the, the, the highest resolution test you can get in the oral microbiome. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the link. Uh, I don't think it's available in Britain, but it's coming. Uh, and it's, it'll also be available for children as well. Um, it's really, I mean, what we're talking about is weeding, feeding, and seeding. We're talking about probiotics, prebiotics. We have synbiotics. We have now postbiotics. Interesting company out of Australia coming up with an oral uh, health product for that. My go-to is the prebiotic. The best food, cleanest foods you can find with fiber. It can be asparagus. It, it, I mean, it can even be green tea. I mean, those, those have prebiotic capabilities, uh, xalitol. But um, certain, certainly our diet, what passes through the mouth into the gut, obviously it's good for the gut microbiome, stay away from uh, uh, breads, of course, and things that open up the gut and make it more permeable, leaky gut. All of that applies to the mouth. Uh, digestion starts in the mouth. The food may not spend as much time as it does in the gut or the stomach is clears pretty quickly, but certainly the mouth, it's, it's minutes, not hours. Um, but digestion does start there. We've got proteolytic enzymes. We've got digestive enzymes that are in the oral microbiome. They are excreted from saliva. Uh, they're modulated by the bugs in the oral microbiome. They actually sit in the biofilm, which is what we call plaque, that thin layer on the teeth. They have multiple functions there, but the 
feeding the oral microbiome as, as it would be the gut microbiome, just feeding them a good diet is probably the best thing you can do. It's that simple. Don't feed them anything that's bad. Let the biome take care of itself. All it needs is what it needs. We pretty much, we're pretty good at that. We know what that is. Uh, there's a little discussion here and there on that, but, and disagreement, but find out what the best gut diet is, and that's gonna be great for your oral microbiome. That is a no-brainer. That works every time. The problem is, is then we start talking about pills. And everybody wants, everyone thinks there's a pill to take that will solve this problem. No, it's lifestyle. It's it's uh, keeping, uh, we haven't talked about uh, mouth breathing and uh, pH change of the saliva. That has a, that's a quick way of getting, uh, of, of, um, getting to a state of dysbiosis in the oral microbiome. We'll have to come back to that. But for right now, the, the prebiotic nature of a good diet is the key. It's a no-brainer. Everyone should be doing it. It's the baseline. Taking pro and pre, uh, sorry, probiotics and a postbiotic, uh, I'll classify them all together, although there are differences. We don't know. I mean, uh, Bristle, the oral microbiome testing company, there are very few studies on it. They actually did a study, and then they were so excited that they found the optimal combination of bugs, about eight of them, that they quickly uh, put together a probiotic. And that's one that I'm backing now. I've backed several before, and but it was always kind of like a Hail Mary. It's like, just in case it works, let's take it. It won't do you any harm. It's maybe a little expensive, but especially if you're dysbiotic, this would be a good thing. And I think that's how most uh, uh, physicians feel about it. Um, but then, then there are some uh, some probiotics that I think can be dangerous. I mean, if you if you elevate one bug too much and let it be the bully in in the equation, then the good bugs or even some bad bugs that have good uh, you know uh, uh, you know things to do, jobs to do in the mouth, they they that will all be altered. Uh, you'll get disruption of these bugs. Uh, there'll be a die off of these bugs. They'll replenish, of course. And then you start getting toxins. If you have gum disease, that will get into the bloodstream. And then these toxins are getting to organs in the body, especially the brain. It'll cross the blood-brain barrier. And the brain will shrink. It will shrink. There are about 10 crazy things that happen to parts of the brain, like the mitochondria, when oral bacteria get into the brain. Uh, you, that only happens if you have a leaky mouth. And that happens with gum disease. And remember, most of us have some form of this. I'm, I'm thinking of that guy driving to work right now. I feel bad, but, but yeah, uh, I know. this yeah. podcast just makes people feel <laughs> yeah. terrible. So I don't um, know if I answered the question, but it's it's a no, I, there's a lot of money to be made there. Uh, there's a lot of new products coming again, like toothpaste and mouthwash. Be very careful. At least we have, and you have the the patient at home, the person at home has control, has most of the control. It's about mm -hmm. diet and lifestyle. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing that we've not talked about is, is, is fillings, right? So people uh, that have had multiple rounds of fillings, uh, most people that have had fillings probably, if they're over the age of 30, have an amalgam filling. I'm interested to know, you know, there's a lot of stories now that could be scaremongering. Um, a lot of people have had these fillings in the mouth for a long amount of time and so I'm interested to know, one, your take on amalgam fillings, but also the alternatives and whether they are much better. Right. Um, again, a question that gets asked often. There is a lot of scaremongering in dentistry. I, I will be the first one to tell you that. 
Um, but mercury fillings, otherwise known as amalgam, silver fillings, uh, it's, it's half mercury um, and, and half silver. And the two together, by the time they harden, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful material uh, for dentistry because it's not very technique sensitive. You can place it in a wet environment, which is what the mouth is. Uh, it's, it's not very uh, sensitive to whether it's a poor clinician or a very good clinician um, because it always works. And then when it starts breaking down, it starts leaking oxidative products, uh, oxidation of the silver. And then where the filling pulls away from the tooth and breaks apart, those, those oxidation uh, so, uh, of silver particles actually knock down the bacteria. Um, so it has worked very well. Unfortunately, and we didn't think this originally, and again, this is typical of any profession, we, we see a cause and effect of some device or a medication, and we think it's some miracle, and maybe we do a little testing or we don't bother, and, and, or we just know better, and, and we jump on the bandwagon, and then 20, 30, 40 years later, we hear that it, it, it's terrible, and that is what the amalgam is. The mercury and amalgam does release grinding, Less so, I think, with acidic drinks. There, there are a lot of examples of when it could, but also when you place it and when you remove it. Even the practitioner and the auxiliary, the dental assistant, most certainly the patient, uh, they are exposed to mercury vapor that will you will ingest and the body has to wall off. You will not be able to detoxify it. You will be walling it off. There's a difference. And that has neurological effects. So mercury fillings, amalgams are, are not a good idea. And there are great alternatives to it. They're not perfect, they're getting better, but they're way better than having to deal with a uh, neurotoxin in your body, especially children. We'll, we'll, we'll get onto the alternatives, but if people are listening to this and they do have a mouthful of amalgam fillings, mm -hmm. is it more dangerous to try and get those fillings removed? It can be. Um, there are methods out there. The, I think the best method on the planet right now, uh, it's out of the US, called the SMART method. Um, and there are smart trained uh, practitioners in England. Uh, it's a it's a certification that you get, it's rubber dam. It's mostly, ironically, to protect the auxiliaries. It's That's why I did it, I wanted to protect myself. Uh, I, I got my mercury levels checked and they were low and they still are, but again, as a practitioner, I'm paranoid, just like a patient, I'm a patient too. And that's something, you know, I, I'm removing, you know, thousands of fillings a year when the patient is only having three or four removed maybe in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. But having said that, it's best not to get any uh, concentration of mercury in your system. And again, placing them and taking them out is probably when you get most of your exposure. Uh, you, you'll get it through ingestion of certain um, fish, of course, and it's in the diet. It's also in the air, unfortunately. If you live in an industrialized area, air pollution mm -hmm. has a lot of mercury in it. So, so again, I don't want to depress anyone. I, I, I go, th I have my moments because, you know, I read a lot and studies and beyond just dentistry and we are exposed to so much. We've got forever mm -hmm. chemicals in us, but the way I think of it, and, and, and I think this is true. I'm not just trying to prop myself up and feel better. There's a threshold. There's a, the body is pretty adept at dealing with all these things. And there's a threshold. We don't know what the threshold is and everyone has their own mm -hmm. threshold and there's synergy between these chemicals probably in which, which organ system is affected and are there multiple ones? And, and then how long do you live for? And then there are certain things you can do. You can chelate, you can eat well and reverse some of it, but it's really kind of a, an equilibrium, you know, as you live and the longer you live, you have to work on 
ridding yourself of everything that we have created. And, and it's not going to go away. We're not going to be able to tell plastic companies, stop now, stop today, no more. Mm. No more uh, and- Teflon coated pans. It's just not going to happen. So for uh, so if somebody's got amalgam fillings, would you say that if they can find a dentist that uses the mm-hmm. smart method or some kind of, you know, that you would recommend that people get them replaced? Right. If you're not grinding and the tooth is doing well and the filling is doing well, I would wait until it's time to replace okay. it. Uh, okay. And then certainly have it done using this smart uh, uh, certified method. And then what would you replace it with? What are the, because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'll just get rid of amalgam, but uh, I'm assuming that the other fillings have to be made out of some compounds. So these are composites. They are, uh, they have uh, methacrylate in it. They have uh, uh, BPA uh, type products. Um, During the process, you are, there are solvents. Uh, The patient may be breathing in some acetone. Uh, it's not like having your nails done where you're having it done every two weeks and that exposure really builds up over time. But there are materials out of Germany that I think are the best. It's, it's, I'll mention the name. I always do. I I don't work with the company. I have no affiliation. It's called Admira Fusion is the product. The name of the company is Vioc, I think, but you'll, when you Google it, you'll see it. And that right now, I think, is for small to medium-sized fillings, I would replace it with that. There's really nothing out of Japan and America that is as concerned with biocompatibility, uh, biomimetic nature of the material. And and the good news is that it's a great material. Uh, there's some bad materials that shrink when you put them in, and that will cause post-op pain. They'll break. They won't last very long. This is a great material made by a very reputable company, and they're very proud of what they've done, and they're always... Uh, trying to to improve their product, so that. But here's here's something that you that may be a lost art. Uh, it actually is a lost art here in a way. But there are study groups all over the world. It's called the Tucker Cascold Study Group, uh, named after the the gentleman who has brought back the art and science of placing gold in the mouth. And gold is a very biomimetic material. It is very safe. Now, in America, this doesn't go over well because Americans are very cosmetically, I mean, we're, we're whitening our teeth before we're fixing cavities. It's like we're getting fit before we lose weight. That, that's just our way of thinking here in the US and, and that's fine. Um, it's not fine, but it's, it's something that, that I've had to always work around and I think most practitioners realize that. Uh, whitening teeth is the number one dental procedure in the US. Um, but in Europe, I've, I've, there are Tucker Cascold study clubs. Um, they're in Italy, they're in Germany. Uh, the gold inlay, the gold onlay, the gold crown, if it's too big for a filling and you know, the tooth is broken down, gold is an, and people are going to be amazed at this, but gold is amazing. It has, it shrinks and expands at the same rate that enamel does. Um, it, it doesn't leach anything into the body. Uh, and, and the beauty of it is that it could be a forever filling or restoration. And I can't say that about an implant. I can't say that about a, uh, porcelain crown. I can't say that about a plastic filling or even a silver filling. So that's something, I mean, it could be expensive, but typically not more expensive than a crown. So if you get there and your dentist is able to provide, and, and of course they need a good lab person to be able to fabricate this. The gold restoration is absolutely the best. I mean, it is phenomenal. And you would choose that over an implant well 
in terms of longevity. But if you don't have a tooth to put a gold inlay in, you're going to need the implant first. Yeah, the implant is, and I would recommend a zirconia implant, which is a ceramic implant. Titanium is having too many issues. We've moved on, I think. Right. But most of the implants placed today are titanium. And they're cheap ones, and they're ones that aren't really very, the coating isn't very pure. And, and people do react to titanium. We thought, and it came out of Sweden. It came from actually not a dentist, it was a physician that was doing dental implants, Dr. Brennermark. And that was right as I was coming out of dental school. That was in the 80s. Uh, and, um, and it was just heralded as biomimetic and no immune response by the body whatsoever. And I mean, I would say 30% of the implants that I've seen, I always know how to check for it. I'm just, it's just a knee jerk response. As soon as I see an implant on the x-ray, I'll go right to the implant. I'll palpate the free margin and you'll get a little bit of exudate coming out, a little bit of uh, yellow pus right around the implant. The implant's doing well. It seems to be functioning well, but the body is responding to it. The presence of the implant. Wow. Yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. But zirconia, and it's not perfect. It's a little bit more brittle. But if done well, I think zirconia is the way to go. And they're also more aesthetic in the in the more anterior applications. Okay. There has been huge uh, uh, in the last few years around uh, toothpaste. You've been talking about it today, mouthwashes, things like that. You have a great thing on your website, which actually shows people how to make a DIY yeah. um, uh, toothpaste, which is great. Again, askthedentist.com. What are the ingredients that typically that, that you look for, things to avoid and things to look for? Oh boy, there are a lot of them. But the categories would be surfactants, detergents, emulsifiers, bactericidals, that would be pesticides, some detergents are bactericidal, essential oils, um, their uh, alcohol. Um, uh, you mentioned fluoride. Uh, fluoride. Um, fluoride, I want to kind of put in a different category because that's there for remunization. It is a, a, certainly a toxin. But um, what is the other one? There's another one. Um, it's in mouthwash as well. Citidine peroxidine. That's a pesticide. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's, um, triclosan, triclosan. That's also a detergent pesticide. We, it's an, uh, anti, it's a bactericidal that we used to use in our soaps. That's been banned actually in California. Uh, thank goodness. So it's not in toothpaste anymore. Microplastics. There are microplastics in toothpaste that will have an effect, especially if it's a child in the development of their adult teeth while they're still underneath the gum. Um, and, um, you know, there are a lot of other products that have been demonized like glycerin and xylitol, but those, those I don't, I don't worry about, but, um, and, but that's the bulk of toothpaste. That's the bulk of what's in your tube. And it's also the bulk of what is out there in, in any tube of toothpaste. And so these are things that actually take down the oral microbiome. Uh, they can actually, as I mentioned before, they can elevate your blood pressure. There's even a little link to diabetes. Why would we want to be using something twice a day that actually helps us get more cavities and gum disease because it's disrupting the oral microbiome? I'm not exaggerating. There are plenty of studies. This is not my opinion. It was my opinion 20 years ago, but now we have studies that support it. And, and because of that, now we're seeing change in these products. Uh, um, but why would you want to be using these products? Uh, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And this is something you're exposed to twice a day if you're taking your dentist's advice, you know, brushing twice a day, flossing once a day. And you're saying there that you put fluoride in a slightly different 
camp? Why? Well, because every time I bring up fluoride, A, most people will think, oh, the guy's a nut. He's a conspiracist. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't want to lose yeah. that message of, you know, all these other products that are and I think we have quite a tolerant audience I think you're yeah I, 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 I'm <laughs> sure you do and and I'm but it does happen and and then fluoride is a neurotoxin and it's in your water it's not just in your toothpaste it's not just in your mouthwash and Britain is highly fluoridated now the rest of the EU is not in fact America the US we drink more fluoridated water than all other countries combined I don't know if that explains what's going on here but <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it, back to that. But whole... I'm assuming it, it does have some benefits for teeth. Otherwise, why it does. It, it can it can remineralize a demineralized tooth surface, enamel surface. It can. But but it also causes brain damage. I can I can fix a tooth. I cannot fix the brain. We really can't. Right. Once the IQ is dropped by four to nine points, which is we have 70, 68 studies that from all over the world that support that that concept, that notion. Uh, it's not a notion. It's a it's a, th a hypothesis theory. Um, then, but we have alternatives that can remineralize actually a little bit better in some cases. Fluoride does remineralize topically. Fluoride ingestion as a child, fluoride gets into the bloodstream. It gets into the enamel organ, which is the organ the tissue, the embryonic tissue that where the tooth forms from inside your jawbone and then it erupts. And then from that point on, your tooth has a blood supply. It has arteries and veins that go into it. It has a neurological, it has a nervous uh, supply. And then it has that tissue in there that can try and fix the inner surface of the tooth. And that's where we get tooth pain from. It gives you sensation. Most of this, most of this sensation from chewing comes from the periodontal ligament which is that girdle of periodontal ligament of, of collagen fibers outside of the tooth. But if you were to put a little bit of ice on a tooth or some heat, the tooth would respond uh, because it does have that capability. And you, you're saying there that there are alternatives. What should people Yeah, hydroxyapatite. I mean, it's, first of all, it is the main ingredient in enamel and dentin. That, those are the two major structures of the tooth. It's biomimetic, it's found in nature. Uh, NASA uh, rediscovered it, and uh, back in the 60s, they were worried about uh, bone density uh, with their astronauts. Uh, don't know if they were concerned about remineralization of the teeth. I don't think they got that far. Some websites talk about that, but I've seen no... Uh, uh, I feel like they had a lot of other things on their plate. Exactly. On yeah. those I mean, come on, a cavity in space. No, they, they, they get checked and they were only spending two weeks in space. They weren't going to get a cavity, but the bone density in their bones, that was an issue. So they were working on supplements and, and hydroxyapatite is used in the medical industry. It's used for, uh, by, uh, osteo, uh, you know, the bone doctors and implant specialists and coatings and, but then the Japanese bought or, or licensed it. And they've been using it in their toothpaste for at least 40 years now. Uh, it, is, it has come to America. Um, the irony is that the best form of, of hydroxyapatite that actually remineralizes teeth the best, uh, and that is in toothpaste. We don't put it in the water. Actually, putting hydroxyapatite in water does not work. It actually makes things a little worse. And then combining fluoride with it also is bad. But when fluoride is in your toothpaste, it, will, it, it has a negative charge. The tooth, the demineralized area has a positive charge. 
they're attracted to each other. That's if the fluoride can come out of solution in the saliva and it, it kind of smooths out that little dent in the tooth where it's lost calcium. Unfortunately, fluoride is more brittle uh, and it's more wavy. Um, and so that outer layer, if it's been remineralized with fluoride, doesn't look as good. It doesn't reflect light in the same way. So by using hydroxyapatite, you can actually whiten your teeth or it's a perceived lightness or increase in value of the, of the, of the tooth uh, when you see it in light. But the fluoride was used because it was discovered back in the 20s in the US somewhere in a small town in Den outside of Denver in Colorado. There was a lot of fluoride in the water it, from a well. It was the ambient level of fluoride. And that can happen. Well, there's a lot of fluoride in well water, sometimes too much. And the kids were coming out with little white spots, sometimes brown spots. That's called fluorosis. That's too much fluoride in the teeth. But they seemed to be getting less cavities than the town next door, which didn't have fluoride in the water. And then without doing any science, it jumped into within 10 years, maybe a little bit longer. I mean, Alcoa got involved, the big food and phosphate fertilizer industries got involved because... Guess what? That was one of their main byproducts in producing their product. Uh, and this was a great way to get rid of it. And then we said, okay, let's put it in the water, not the well water. Let's put it into the reservoir or put it into tablet form and have your kids swallow it. And then, then the science came out and it's like, oops, okay, it's bad for the brain. It could be bad for bone density. Could it, there's an increase in hip, a likelihood of hip fractures. Uh, but let's focus on the brain. That's pretty big. A pregnant woman right now in England should be filtering their water. They do not want to ingest fluoride because it will lower the IQ of your child. We have enough data to stand on that, that, that fact. And you know, there are inexpensive tabletop filters that will do that. They're just a few. Uh, we have one in America called clearly filtered. It's $70. The filter lasts three or four months and you can pour any fluoridated water in there and it'll come out. 99.9% .9 of it will come out. So that is something that needs to be said and needs to be broadcast. Uh, this, this could help generations of children. And, and it's so, so important to, to, to think that way. Mark, there's no two ways about it. I feel worse leaving this podcast than when I arrived in the podcast. That was not my intent. I'm sure that's the same for all of our listeners. I, um, I, could, have been, I could have been six to nine points smarter. I, I, I grew up in San Francisco. <laughs> I'm, I'm bummed too, but here I am, you know. I mean, we do the best um, we can. There, there are so many other things I think we cover and maybe you come back to it on a, on a future to. episode. But I really implore you, if you're listening, go to askthedentist.com. There's a, a directory on there. You can find out more about nutrition. We didn't get on to sleep today, but there's a whole you know, section of sleep on there. And of course, dental hygiene, where you can find about how to make your own toothpaste. You can even go on a course and work this out yourself, even if you're here in the UK, or of course, for our US listeners, uh, they can, they're, they're on, they're on home soil there. But um, Mark, I'm uh, incredibly grateful. There are people as enthusiastic and as inquisitive uh, as you in the world that um, don't mind going against the grain occasion. Yeah. And, and thank you for your interest in the oral part of the equation of, of health. I uh, greatly appreciate it.